theyeshiva.net. Today's class is dedicated in the loving memory of a very, very special woman. Talia, the daughter of Rachamim and the daughter of Rivka, Greenpass, dedicated by her beloved husband, Reb Nassanel, my dear friend, Reb Nassanel Yitzchak, and thank you so, so much, and dedicated in the merit of Reb Nassanel and his three, and her three, their three beautiful children, Hadassah Malka, Yisrael, and Meir Chaim, the children of Reb Nassanel Yitzchak and Talia of blessed memory. Talia Greenpass passed away three years ago on the 19th of Shvat, Yutes Shvat, Tavshin Ayin Ches. That's 2018, 5778, at the very young age of 36. She lived with her husband, Nesanel, and their three beautiful children in Zderot. She was born on a kibbutz, Kidumim in Shamron. She was a uh, extraordinary human being and quite brilliant as well. Just to mention a few things, at the age of 15, she finished five units in math and physics. She won the local Chidon, uh, the exam on the whole Tanakh at the age of 17 a bachelor's and master's degree in physics in Barilan University in a, short head pro, in a shortened program. Because of her capacity, she worked in high-tech. She worked on the Chetz, Israel's anti-ballistic missile program, and was very involved in that field of work. But her greatest passion was being a mother to her three beautiful kinderlach. Most people did not know about... Uh, her brilliant mind, as her husband tells me, she was one of the most humble, God-fearing, kind people you would meet, full of faith, full of life, full of resilience, full of hope, and full of positivity. She was diagnosed when she was pregnant with her third child and suffered for a few years with cancer, and she passed away on Yutes Shvat, Tavshin Ayin Ches. So I dedicate this very this very class to her loving memory and in the merit of her husband and their three beautiful, amazing children with gratitude and eternal blessings. So let's begin. We're going to learn today a piece of a Svasemes on Parshas Yisrael. But before we begin, as a little intro we're going to study a piece of Gemara, a piece of Talmud. And on the source sheets you could see we have both a, the Hebrew text and also the English translation. So let's begin. This is Gemara Ksuvis Tavchof Amud Aleph. Talmud Ksuvis, Tractate Ksuvis, page 20a. I'm going to read in Hebrew, the original language. And I'm going to translate. Below, I also put in an English translation from Safaria website. Tanur The rabbis taught. 
koisiv adam eduse al ashtar, a person is allowed to transcribe his testimony on a document for himself, and then he can use this document as a source for testimony even after many years. Meaning, a witness who comes to the court and testifies about something that he observed, obviously must be testifying based on his actual memory of observing this phenomenon, whatever it may be. I saw Yankel lend money to Shmerel or whatever the testimony is about. What happens if I'm a witness, and I'm afraid, and I'm going to forget? So the Gemara says, the sages taught that you're allowed to transcribe your testimony on a document, and you can use that document after many years to remind you the story. I, you might say, no, it's not fair, he has to remember it. Okay, He's remembering it through the document. In other words, the document is what's reminding the witness of what happened. Rabbuna says only if he remembers it on his own, even without the document. You know, the document may uh, inspire and trigger some more details, but the person, the person remembers the story without the document. The document is only an aid. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, even if he doesn't remember it, before the document was, before, without reading the document, he doesn't remember anything. It's still fine. Rashi says, Rashi says, Rabbi Rechanan is telling us is, that after he sees the document, he does remind himself the story. In other words, it's not that the story was completely forgotten, that even after he reads his own handwriting and his own testimony in a paper that he put away, he still doesn't remember anything. If that's the case, Rashi says, then he's not a kosher witness. Why? Because the Torah says that testimony has to come from the mouth of the witnesses, not from their writings. If all I have is my document and I don't remember, I have no memory, no recollection of the story, it's not a kosher testimony. The testimony has to come from me, not from my diaries, not from my journals. So what's the argument between Reb Huna and Reb Yochanan? Reb Huna says, I have to have a memory of it even without the document. Reb Yochanan says, no, I don't care if I forgot it completely. But when I see it, I'm like, ah, yeah, 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 I remember that story. You know the difference, right? Sometimes you could see something you wrote, an experience that you had 20 years ago, and it brings back the experience. You remember it. Sometimes not. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I trust myself. I'm not a liar. But I don't remember it. So Reb Hunas says you have to remember it without the document. Reb Hunas says, no, I don't care if the witness forgot it completely. But when he sees the document, it comes back to him. And that's the law. That is the halacha, the verdict, the way it's in Rambam, in the laws of witnesses, in Turin, Shulchan Aruch, Hashem, Mishpitzim, and Chavches. This is the halacha. If you're a witness and you observe the story, and you wrote it down in a piece of paper, and you put it away in your safer in your drawer, and 25 years later you bring it back up, you forgot the story, you bring it back up, you see it, you remember the story, you are 
eligible to testify. The Torah says you're a kosher, good witness. There's no issue, no guilt, no problem. It's completely good. We learn from Rabbi Yochanan. If two people saw an event and one of them forgot what happened, one of them could remind the other. That's fine. Just like the document can remind me, one witness can remind the other witness. And if he remembers it, he knows it's authentic because, you know, sometimes I saw something together with you, right? Years go by, we meet. You say, you remember that story? Oh, of course I remember. Now I remember. It would also be fine. A dilemma was raised before the sages. What of the litigant himself reminds the witness of the testimony? What is the ruling? Not one witness reminds the other witness. The litigant himself comes to me and says, remember Rabbi Y.Y. 29 years ago you saw this? I don't remember. The litigant reminds it. What's the halach? Reb Chaviva, Reb Chaviva said, Afilu atzmoi. Even if the litigant himself reminds the witness, he is a valid witness, he can testify. Mar bared Rebashi Omar, Mar, the son of Rebashi, says, Atzmoi lo. If the litigant himself reminds the witness, he may not testify. Vehilchisa, and the law is, loy. If the litigant himself reminds the witness of the testimony, the witness may not testify. Why? Due to the concern that the litigant may have influenced the nature of his testimony because he is subjective. It may also look pretty bad, right? Because I'm not being reminded from the document. I'm not being reminded from the other witness. I'm being reminded from the person who's going to gain the benefit of the testimony. Therefore, they don't allow it. The Gemara says, However, if the witness is a great Torah scholar who knows very well the laws of testimony, then even if the litigant himself jogged the witness's memory, the witness may testify. Why? What's the logic? What's the difference? The difference is because since he knows the law very well, he would never testify if he didn't actually remember the testimony himself because he knows that relying on somebody else's story is insufficient. So another person who hears it from the litigant and he remembers something, he'll say, okay, let me go testify. And it's really not a good testimony. But the Torah scholar, he knows very well that if I don't really remember the story, I'm not allowed to testify. And therefore, the fact that he jogged my memory, I'm not going to allow his story to influence me because that's going to make me an invalid witness. Because he knows all of these nuances, he won't just rely on the general impression, yeah, I remember the story, but not all the details, etc. So we trust him and we say, even though he was reminded by the litigant, he could still testify. And the Gemara tells a story, and this is the source of this law. What's the story? Fascinating story. There was a story about Reb Ashi. Reb Ashi is one of the greatest Talmudic sages of the 5th century after the Kamen Era, the editor of Talmud Bavli, one of the editors. He knew testimony relating to another great sage of Kahana. 
Reb Kahana said to Rabashi, does the master remember this testimony? Do you remember this story that you saw involving me? So Reb Ashi said to Reb Kahana, no, sorry, I forgot the story. So Reb Kahana says to him, Reb Kahana tries to trigger his memory. So he says, didn't the incident transpire in such and such manner? Like, how, how do you forget this, Rabashi? Don't you remember what happened, you know, <laughs> on this day? And Rabashi is an honest man, of course. He says, I don't remember. Sorry. Rabkana says, well, you were there. I don't remember. Ultimately, Rabashi remembered. He had a flashback of the experience. He remembered everything that happened. And you know what happened? Asidle. <laughs> Rabashi remembered the testimony and he testified in court for Reb Kahana. Reb Kahana wanted he should testify. He declined because he didn't remember. Even after he reminded him, he didn't remember. But then he remembered and he came to court and he testified. And look what happened. Something fascinating happened. Reb Ashi saw that Reb Kahana was feeling very, very hesitant. He was not comfortable with regard to accepting this testimony. And you understand why. He was concerned that he influenced the content of Reb Ashi's testimony. Because Reb Ashi told him clearly that he doesn't remember what happened. Suddenly he's testifying. This means that he's just repeating what I told him. Maybe because he's uncomfortable, maybe because he trusts me, but that's not kosher. The witness has to testify from his own mouth what he remembers from his conscious experience and observation. That's Jewish law. So Rabbi Kahana, even though he was benefiting perhaps from this testimony, he didn't feel comfortable. He felt that there's something not kosher. So Rabbi Ashi tells him, Oh my lay, Rabbi Ashi tells him, Mi savris Allah kasamichna. I know that I'm my anafshaiv atkiri. Rabbi Ashi says to him, You think I'm relying on you? No, I made an effort and I remember the incident myself. In other words, I was attentive, I concentrated, I meditated. I really made an effort. I tried to tune in to my long term memory brain cells, and I remember it. And that's why I could testify. What's the problem? It's true. You reminded me. It's true. Maybe if you would have never had the conversation with me, I would have not even known to search for the memory. But at the end of the day, it was not your testimony I was repeating like a parrot. No, I was repeating what I saw with my own eyes. What do we learn from here? That with a real Torah scholar, in other words, a genuine educated, God-fearing Jew who knows very well the halachas of testimony. We don't care if even the litigant himself or herself shares the story with the witness and triggers their memory. Why? Because we trust them that they're not going to repeat the words of the litigant and trust the litigant. Even the litigant is a trustworthy person. By the way, this is not about liars. Even if the litigant is a trustworthy person, it doesn't have to do with that. I cannot be a witness based on what you said. <laughs> That's not what testimony. It's just repeating a story that I heard from you. Even if you're the most honest person. Maybe you could be the witness. I can't be. A witness means me. I can't even be a witness based on my own writings. Because I wrote it in my journal. That's not enough. I have to be a witness based on my own conscious observations. 
That's the end of this discussion in Gemara, and this has been embraced as final Jewish law, as I said in Rambam Laws of Witnesses, in Turin Shulchan Aruch Mishpat, section 28, with the, these details that I mentioned above. Why am I teaching, why are we learning this piece of Gemara today from a Sechtik service? It's obviously interesting, it's always good to learn. But because it's this conversation, which seems to be dealing with uh, quite a technical question about kosher witnesses, that triggers that brings up a powerful and amazing conversation and a commentary of the Hasidic works Vasemis by the second Ger Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Aryeh Leib Alter of Ger, passed away in 1905. And in a section on Parshish Yisroi, this discussion, this conversation, comes to bear powerful significance about the understanding of all of Jewish history. And that's what I really find fascinating about it. That's why I wanted to open up with this introduction. Because often when you know, we read these people who learn Gemara constantly, you know, they read these types of laws continuously in the debates and different perspectives. And it seems like it's only dealing with a technical issue, an important technical issue. This is, this is normative Jewish law. But we, 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 we see here, we get a glimpse into the nister of Torah, into the deeper dimensions of Torah, where everything is connected. And sometimes a small technical law is reflective of a profound philosophical, existential, and spiritual truth. In this sense, in this case, these laws are actually laws that embody and capture some of the most essential themes and narratives of Jewish history. I find that fascinating. Let's right away jump into the Svasemes. If you didn't open your source sheets, do that now. You can go to theyeshiva.net. You will see the video on top, Women's Class Tuesday. And over there, you will see source sheets that you can open up either in View Source Sheets or in Download. Zakta Svasemes, Tofresh Samach. Yisra Tofresh Samach. Tofresh Samach would be 1900. How many years ago is that? <laughs> you remember how many years ago that is? That's exactly 121 years ago. We're now January 2nd, February 2nd, 2021. 18th of Shvat 5781. This is Tafresh Samach. So would be 100 years. And 21 years later, Tafshin Ayin, Tafshin Pei, Tafshin 121 years ago. Anoichi Hashem mi beis avadim. In Parshish Yisra, we have, of course, the revelation at Sinai, which begins with the famous words Hashem tells the Jewish people, I am Hashem, your God. I am the Lord, your God, who has extricated you from the land of Egypt, from a home of slavery. This is the opening of the Aseris Adibris of the revelation at Sinai. I am God, and I extricated you from bondage. Isab Medrash. The Medrash Rabbah says, Parshas Yisra. This is Medrash Rabbah Shmois, section 28, Parshach of Ches, Pitzkevav. Kol Hanashamas Amdu Bekabalas Hatayra. The Medrash there derives from various verses throughout the Tanakh that all of the souls of the Jewish people, not only those who were physically alive then, but also souls that would descend into the world millennia centuries or millennia later, all stood at Sinai when the Torah was given to the Jewish people. Imkain says the Svasem, as if this is the case, 
when Hashem says, I am the God who took you out of Egypt, who was he talking to? If all the souls were there, and he's referring to each one individually, so he's talking about the future souls as well, but they were not in Egypt. If God was only addressing the souls who have been in physical Egyptian bondage, and we're now standing at Sinai, seven weeks after the exodus of Egypt, beautiful, that makes sense. But the Madrid tells me that every single soul that ever lived, that would ever live, was there. And I should add in parentheses, it says in Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, one of the earliest Madrashim, that this includes also the souls of converts, meaning those who would convert to the Judaism hundreds or thousands of years later, they also stood at Mount Sinai, asked the Svasemes, why is God telling each of them, I have taken you out of Egypt, I haven't taken you out of Egypt, I've taken your parents, your ancestors out of Egypt. And in the case of a convert, not even ancestors. The answer is, because just as the Jewish people below, living on earth, languished in the Egyptian bondage, their counterparts, the souls of Israel, living above, living in the spiritual realms, not living physically in Egypt, they were also in exile. They were under subjugation as well. Not physical subjugation, but they were under the influence of Sar Mitzrayim, which means the spiritual guardian angel of Egypt. Every country has what's called its mazel, the spiritual energies or angels that are connected with the zeitgeist of that country. In fact, that is what constitutes the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist of the country. So the souls were surrendered. They were in exile under the dominance of the spiritual guardian of the Sar Mitzrayim, of the spiritual counterpart of Egypt. And now when the Jews stood at Sinai and they received the Torah, all of the Jewish people, those who were physically alive and the souls who were present were all sublimated and they entered under the wings of the Shechin of the Divine Presence. As Hashem says, We all know this verse is the end of Shema. Parsha Shlach. Right? I am your God who has taken you out of Egypt to be for you a God. What does this mean to be for you a God? I took you out of Egypt to be for you a God. This is not only a statement to the Jews who were physically in Egypt. As he says here, this is a statement for all the souls for eternity who, who were all experiencing some form of spiritual exile. And now God says, I took you out. How do I take you out of Egypt if you're in heaven? You're not in Egypt. The answer is, Even those who were not physically in Egypt had a different type of exile. And they were also taken out. And what does it mean they were extricated? They were emancipated from what? And what were they brought into? That I became your God. I became your Elikim. And that's why the opening of the Ten Commandments begins with those words. It's not just a reference point. By the way, you know the guy who took you out of Egypt that happens to be me and I happen to be God. That's actually the definition of the Exodus. 
This is a uh, this is based on a whole chapter in Tanya, chapter forty, chapter forty six, chapter forty seven, chapter forty nine, where the Balatanya explains this, and in other Maimarib, in other discourses. And the point is, Hashem is not just saying, you know, you came out of Egypt, so let me give you an address, so you know who to send a thank you letter, who to send a thank you letter to. Let me give you my email address. It happens to be a He's describing what Yitzias Mitzrayim is. What does it mean to leave Egypt? And the moment we understand that description, we have an answer to our original question. Why it's not only applicable to the Jews who lived physically at the time, but it's applicable to every soul who would ever live. The definition of coming out of Egypt is Anoichi Hashem that I am now your God. That's what it means. I took you out of Egypt. What does it mean you came out of them? What does this mean? That God says, I am your God. Your relationship with me is absolutely direct, unequivocal, absolute. No intermediaries. No other experiences to confine it or to limit. I am your Elikim. And he goes on to explain. This is really the primary meaning of what it means. I took you out. He could have just said, I took you out of Egypt. We know what happened in Egypt. We have the portion of Shmois and Ve'era and Boy and Bishalach. Four portions to tell us what Egypt was like, what Egyptian culture was like, the slavery, the oppression, the genocidal plans, the torturing, the suffering, the slave labor, the cruelty, the barbarity. We know what happened in Egypt. You don't have to remind the Jews, you don't have to remind Jews who were emancipated from 210 years of slavery that this was a home of slaves. Says the Svasemus, no, this is actually the definition of Eretz Mitzrayim. This is the real meaning from the house of slaves. It doesn't only mean I took you out from a country in which you were slaves, in which you had no rights, in which you had no freedom. Of course it means that, but it also means something much deeper. All of nature is called Beisavadim, a home of slaves. What does this mean? All of nature is called a Beisavadim. Seems like very dramatic words. Like our sages say, the famous Mishnah in Pirkei in the Ethics of the Fathers. Chapter 4, say the sages, Our world is like a corridor leading to the mansion, which is called the next world, the future world. So this world is basically like the hallway, it's the corridor. And basically, a corridor is called the base of Adam. It's a home of slaves. The whole world, in other words, all of nature is called the base of Adam because it's a prusdur, it's a corridor. It's a narrow, confined corridor. And imagine somebody remains there their entire life. That's a place, the definition of a corridor is to get to your destination. If somebody remains there their entire life, so they're stuck. He says, that's a home of slavery. All of us living in this world, it seems, we're all subjugated to the forces of nature and the spiritual forces of nature. Sarim, 
So are my spiritual ministers, angels. So Hashem tells the Jewish people, I took you out from living in a corridor and I allowed you to live in a mansion. And this is what it means that they are children of Olam Haba. It's not just about the future after a person passes away. Of course, it's that too. But it's also about a definition of life in this world. What is this Fasemis teaching us here? What he's saying is, there are two states of consciousness in which I can live. And they both exist in this world. I can either live in a space of enslavement, of subjugation, or I can live in a space of uninhibited freedom and liberty. What makes the difference? What creates the difference? I would love to be liberated. How do I become liberated? Well, it's about the inner state of consciousness. That is what happens by Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Anoichi Hashem alakecha, asher yitzhiyah Mitzrayim mi beisavodim, is not just about the geographical location of Egypt. It's like we say at the end of Shema, Ani Hashem alakecha, asher yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, liyais lachem leilakim. If I can be your elikim, what does it mean, I am your elikim? What does it mean? It means as follows. The definition of elikim is that it has no definition. That's the only definition we know of elikim. The only definition that Judaism has for God is that it has no definition. Last week's class, Svasemis Parshas B'Shalach, we learned those famous words of the great philosophers, Tachlis HaYediyah Shaloi Neidacha. The ultimate knowledge is the awareness that I don't know you. The ultimate definition is, the ultimate definition of truth is that it has no definition. That every definition that I will confer upon truth is only a glimmer of it. It's a spark of it. It's a ray of it, but it doesn't capture its full essence. Because if I capture the full essence, it's not the full essence. Somebody sent me an email from somebody else, a young person who was dealing with a lot of, with uh, dealing with, uh, serious illness so she would sign off her emails she wrote at the end everything is going to be okay if things are not okay it's because it's not the end so truth real truth is infinite it has no definition and if i'm defining it it may be a, a, an authentic dimension of it but it's not the full picture that's the only definition we have for god that we have no definition so hashem says I want to be yours. <laughs> I want to belong to you. I want you to own me just like I want to own you. What does it mean? I own God, God owns me. It means that I could always live in a space where I'm never confined. There's no fixed box in which I live. That's called a base of Adam. What's the definition of a slave? The definition of a slave in the most heinous form is Somebody who does not own his own life or her own life. That's the crime of slavery. I take away the freedom of another person and you are completely subjugated to me. You have absolutely no self-expression. But I could live technically free, but internally I'm not free. I'm haunted by scars, by wounds, by self-loathing, by self-shame, by depression, by melancholy by all types of traumas, by addictions. 
I am terribly enslaved. I'm enslaved to mood disorders, to personality disorders, to mental illness, to stress, to anxiety, to a background or a youth that was difficult and challenging, or to present challenges and difficulties. Of course, of course I'm a slave. <laughs> and that's what he says. Isn't that the definition of nature? Nature, by definition, is confining. And I live in that realm. Here is the trajectory of my life. Here are things that happen. Here are things that are happening. And this is, this is who I am. This is part of what I am. And the Sfasemis acknowledges that's what Olam has. Olam has is a corridor. It's a thin, narrow corridor. You have your choices within the corridor. Maybe you could touch the right wall or touch the left wall. If there's a bench in the middle of the corridor, you could sit down at the bench. But ultimately, I am in a narrow, confined space. Comes Hashem and says, Anoichi Hashem I want Hashem to be a lekecha. I want that your consciousness should be able to be aligned with infinity so that you could be the freest person. That you can realize that you are an ambassador of infinity in this world. That you're never stuck. That you're never paralyzed. Now, what happens is, I have to be able to open my mind to this because my mind, my brain is often repeating the same story to me over and over again. And that's why the first place in which we work on ourselves is when we look into how we are reacting to situations, where our brain goes, where our thoughts go. This is the first step of inner work. The first step of inner work is noticing and observing the processes of my thoughts, the the processes of my brain. Because that's the first place where reality is ascertained and determined and everything else is a consequence of that awareness. The moment I could challenge that, everything else, or when I could challenge that, a lot of things change. Often we don't give credit to how powerful our thoughts are. That's why the Kabbalists say that machshava is the same letters like besimcha. Change your mind, change your find. So it's very much about which world I live in. Am I living in a corridor? Am I living in a, in a foyer, in a hallway? Or am I living in the mansion? So Hashem says, You have a direct relationship with Elikim. You don't exist in the prison of anyone's influence. You know why? Because I... I am your God. You have a direct relationship with me. You are mine. You are my child. You are my expression. You are my ambassador in this world. And who am I? I'm not confined. This means you're not living in a hallway. You're living in a mansion. What does it mean you're living in a mansion? You're living in an uninhibited space. Your consciousness is open. You're always open to possibility, to newness, to creativity, to transformation. You're never, ever stuck in any confined space. And even if there's challenges you're dealing with, but the way you view those challenges is not like a slave, it's like a free person. Those challenges you don't see as there to destroy you and confine you. No, they are there to help you flex your muscles and soar into the infinite consciousness of the universe. V'zeh edus hashabbos shumei and this is the testimony, this is the message of Shabbos, which our sages compare 
It's a foretaste of the world to come. This is what the Pasuk says. The Torah says, this is in Dvarim Perik Hey, Parshas Veschana. Remember that you were a slave. God took you out of Egypt. God took you out of, 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 uh, of, of Egyptian slavery. And therefore, he commanded you to celebrate Shabbos. What's the therefore? Now we understand. Because Shabbos, as the Gemara says at the end of Brachas, is Meyena Elam Haba. Many of the songs and liturgy of Shabbos mentions this, that Shabbos is a foretaste of Elam Haba. God told you to celebrate Shabbos. That's the direct result of Egyptian bond, of, of the Egyptian exodus. The Egyptian exodus means that you can go out of Beis Avadim. What's Beis Avadim? Go out from living in a world that is confined, that is limited, that is enslaving, that is subjugating, which I'm always a victim to voices inside of me or circumstances outside of me, and live in a traklin, live in a divine mansion, where there's nothing that is beyond my limit because I'm a fragment of infinity. For this, I have to have a relationship with my truest self. What is my truest self? Ani Hashem Alekechem. Your Alekecha, Alekecha means your strength, is Hashem. Your consciousness is always aligned with divinity. Your love is infinite. So what do you do to celebrate that? You celebrate Shabbos. Shabbos is the day that commemorates and testifies to this reality. That's the definition of Shabbos. And this is the deeper message behind the debate of the Jewish philosophers in a Shabbos Whether souls were superior to angels or the angels known as Sichlim Nivdalim, intellects that are detached from physical matter are greater than souls. The Evan Ezra, Rabbeinu Avram Evan Ezra, the 12th century great Spanish philosopher, linguist, poet, astronomer, scientist, and great rabbinic sage who wrote a commentary on Tanakh called Evan Ezra, Rabbeinu Avram, Abraham Ibn Ezra, in his commentary in the opening of Chumash, says, not like Reb Sadiagon, who said that the souls were greater than angels. Of course not. The angels are always greater than souls. This is a debate among Jewish philosophers. The Shalah discusses this debate in Asarim Amores, the great Rabbeinu Yeshaya Horowitz, 16th century, 17th century, Rabbi of Prague, Frankfurt, Jerusalem, buried in Tveria. He has a whole section on this debate. Who's greater, angels or souls? On one level, of course, souls are, uh, angels are greater. Sichlim Nivdalim, their intellects are aloof, they're not encumbered and entangled by physical matter. Others say no souls are greater. The philosophers generally came to the consensus that angels were greater than souls. That's what the Rambam discusses in Hilchis Yisraeli Says They're both saying the truth. In terms of the natural state of creation, of course the angels transcend the souls. The soul came down into this world that's encumbered by physicality, materialism. The angels remain aloof. In terms of the natural creation status quo, the angel is higher than the soul. In that sense, those philosophers like Devin Ezra, the Rambam, were right. But the Sfasema says there's another dimension. 
Hashem says, I took you out of Egypt. And what does Egypt mean? Egypt doesn't only mean physical Egypt. It means Beis Havadim. And what's Beis Havadim? Beis Havadim, he says, is all of Teva. And not just physical nature, even spiritual nature. And that includes even spiritual angels who also have a certain trajectory and a confined spiritual nature. Hashem lifted us up beyond the angels. This is the power of Torah. What is the primary element of Torah? The opening words of Matan Torah, of the Ten Commandments. That I want you to be able to really absorb godliness. I want that Hashem should be able to become your God. I am yours. Our relationship is as intimate and as deep as can be. In other words, you are a mirror of infinity in this world. And in that sense, when you can open yourself up to that, you're higher than all the angels. Malachim are spiritual beings, but they have their own spiritual definitions. It's also part of nature. It's part of the spiritual nature. That's still called Beis Avadim. That's still part of the Prusdur. That's still part of the foyer. The true definition of liberation of Geula, which Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim represents is, when Hashem can truly become a lekecha, and then you are no more a slave to any nature, not your own nature, not other people's nature, not your addictions and not your wounds, not your internal turmoil or the circumstances that are imposed by life, and not even to the deep pain and anxiety and stress that we often experience in life, which are all part of the human condition. We are all on a base of Adam. We are all slaves to somebody and something. Everybody worships somebody and something. Who doesn't? We all have our fears, maybe a different definition of slavery, and sometimes I'm a slave to myself, to my own laziness, to my own disorders, to my own melancholy, to my own anxiety. I'm just a slave. And I keep on repeating that lifestyle. I'm like in this vicious cycle, in this orbit, and I can't get out of it. You know, you ever see, uh, you ever see, uh, this, this metaphor comes from Wittgenstein, the famous philosopher Witt, Wittgenstein. He said that, they once asked him, what's the role of a philosopher? And he said, to teach the fly to look up, which means, you ever saw how uh, a bug, a fly, is trapped in, in, in this... Uh, in this glass jar, and the lid is actually removed, and the bug flies from the right side, and it bumps into the wall, and then goes to the left wall, and bumps into the glass, and then repeats this like, I don't know, 9,000 times, right? And then it just plops down from exhaustion. The only thing the fly forgets to do is look up. Looks right, looks left, looks down, doesn't look up. So often in life, I'm like that fly. You know, I think I'm free, but I'm really in a jar. And I'm so limited because the, I'm living, the, the, the captor here, I'm living in prison in my own mind. I'm not, I'm not a slave necessarily in the physical country by somebody who physically, God forbid, abducted me. But I'm living in a, I'm a, I'm a slave to my own neural pathways to my own patterns of thoughts, and I just can't get out of it. I don't even know that, I, that there's something to get out of because I'm so used to this type of thinking. And this is really the challenge for so many of us. We have been so accustomed 
to this way of thinking, to this way of reacting to life. I don't even know there's anything else. I may be an intelligent person, and I may want to grow, and I may want to work on myself, and I'm trying, but I'm like that fly. I go to the right, I go to the left, I go down, I go up, I try again, and I tell myself I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying so hard. There's only one problem. The problem is the one who's trying to get out of the mess is the one who is in the mess. So even when I'm trying to get out of the mess, the mess is still controlling me. I can't extricate myself. This is the gift of Ani Hashem Chem. Infinity says, I want to be yours. Exclusively yours. Personally yours. Like your husband, your wife. I'm yours. In other words, you're part of Elikim. You're an aspect of Elikim. And the first one who has to know that is your thoughts. So if I find myself trapped in that base of Adam, and what is base of Adam? Base of Adam are those statements about what life is supposed to look like. Those subconscious paradigms about me and the world and my relationship with the world. And they go unchallenged because the worst form of slavery is that the slave doesn't even know that he has the right to challenge his slavery. It becomes so ingrained and entrenched in me that I don't even know that I could look up. I don't know. I'm going everywhere and I think I'm traveling the world and I'm exploring things and I'm reading books and I may be going to share. I never look up. I don't even know what that means. Sometimes you need help with that. Sometimes you can't do it on your own. But acknowledging that is always the first step. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I hope I understand what I'm saying. So what did the say till now? So the main, what did he just say the last line? That what's the main aspect of Torah? What does it mean to live with Torah? What is Torah? You say, well, it's a religion. Okay, what does that mean? It's a faith. Uh, we have we do mitzvahs. It's a way of life. Yes. He says, what's the ikr? What's the essence of it? The essence of it is to absorb his godliness. What does it mean to be makabala To be able to say, Hashem is mine. I have an intimate relationship with the infinite source of all of existence. And that's what I represent in this world. At that moment at Mount Sinai, they experience Bechush. Bechush means in a very real way, with their senses. They experience Godliness. And thus they transcended a consciousness that defined them as material people who are confined by various natural realities inside or outside. And if not for the dissonance that happens afterwards, they would live in a world that's all Shabbos. As the Pasuk says in Tehillim chapter 82, I said, God says, that you are God's. And you were all the children of the supernal one. Wow. What does that mean? Aniya Marti Eleikim Atem Ubne Elian Kolchem. 
It's an extraordinary posik in Tehillim, Kapitel Pei Beis. And the Medrash Rabbah in Shmois, Parshas Kisisa, Perik Lamed Beis says, Ania Marti Elikim Atam, God says, you know what my plan was? My plan was for you guys to be divine. I said, I looked at you and I said, Elikim Atam. These are not small shmatas. These are divine living organisms. These are people who channel divine infinity into the world. You're all children of the highest reality. The highest reality above which there's nothing higher. In other words, you are all products of infinity, of absolute freedom, of emancipation. Your energy, your vitality, your inner consciousness is Hashem. To the point that I, re- I am defined by you. I am your God. <laughs> I want to be yours. Exactly like marriage. That's why it says before that, Kedoshim, as it says in Tanya 46, and the Svasemes and many Svarim, Kedoshim comes from the word Kedushim. You're betrothed to me. V'yisam Kedoshim lelekechem. Not just holy, but betrothed. In that sense, Ani amarite This is you're living in a consciousness of absolute alignment with infinity. Ach acher hachet naflum madregezu. But then there was dissonance. The word chet is usually translated as sin. The real accurate translation of chet is dissonance. When there's a gap and there's a disalign, misalignment, like uh, it says about Shoal, whenever he shot his arrows, he always hit the bullseye, he never missed. When you miss the target, it's called chet. Basheva tells David, Me and your son Solomon will be chatoim, will be wanting. We will be persona non grata. The word chet is, I missed the target. I'm not aligned with who I really am. What happens later after Sinai is there's a dissonance, there's a gap. The Jewish people don't realize who they are. I look at you and I say, But you insist that you're not a Likim. You insist that you're a person. You insist that you're a small, petty, limited slave, okay? So that's the consciousness you live in. You have to be able to liberate yourself from it. Our sages tell us in Masechta Beit Zetazayin that every soul on Shabbos, every Jew on Shabbos gets an extra soul. What does this extra soul mean? So this Fasema says, this extra soul is the soul that they experienced on Mount Sinai, which trans- allowed them to transcend the base of Adam, the home of slavery, which is a metaphor for the natural realities in our life that keep us subjugated and enslaved. At Har Sinai, they experience the world, their eyes and their consciousness experienced a world that was not Elam Haza, was Elam Haba. This is not just talking about after death. It's talking about in this world, they experienced a consciousness of uninhibited love, of uninhibited freedom. That soul is given to us on Shabbos. It's an extra soul that's given to a Jew on Shabbos. L'chein Shabbos, Eidus, Al-Yitzhish, Mitzrayim, Kabbalah Satayra. That's why Shabbos 
is the mitzvah that was chosen through which we testify for two things, the exodus of Egypt and the acceptance of Torah. L'chein Shabbos, Sahadusa Ikri. The Zohar says that Shabbos is called an aid. As the Pasuk says, V'shamru v'nei Yisrael l'asis ha-shabbat y'raisam, b'ni yuvein b'nei Yisrael, ois hila oilam. Shabbos is the ois. That's the reason we don't put on tefillin on Shabbos, for example. Because Shabbos itself is the ois, it's the testimony, it's the edus, he says, for the exodus of Egypt and for the acceptance of Torah. What does it mean it's a testimony? So the, the, the Sfasemis says, because the experience of Shabbos, the very experience of Shabbos, helps us see ourselves re-experiencing the exodus of Egypt and accepting the Torah. What does it mean to leave Egypt? To leave Egypt means that I am never ever locked up in my anger and I'm never paralyzed and submerged in the quagmire and the paralysis of my dispositions, of the vicissitudes of my nature, of my past or my present. That's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. What is Matan Torah? What is Kabbalah Satayra? Kabbalah Satayra is Anoichi Hashem Alekecha. That I am always in a relationship with infinity. I am an ambassador of infinite love, infinite light, infinite hope, infinite healing, infinite truth, infinite authenticity. Shabbos is the testimony for these two things because Shabbos, the Jewish soul, gets closer. There's a more, there's a deeper transparency in his or her world to be able to live in that state, not in the hallway, but in the mansion. The Ksiv, the Pasuk says in Yeshaya, Atem Eidein Um Hashem. The prophet Yeshaya Hanavi says, God says, you are my witnesses. What does it mean to be a Jew? Atem Eida, you are my witnesses. The Jewish people are the witnesses. How are we the witnesses of Hashem? What is a witness? We're getting now to the witnesses, to the testimony. What is a witness? A witness is that you testify to this and this story event, occurrence, phenomenon, crime, loan, transaction, whatever it is that you're testifying to. It's through you that we get to learn about that story. So Yeshaya Navi says, God says, you are my witnesses. You are the ones who make me known in this world. You testify to my existence. How? Because you are divine ambassadors. You are channels of the divine. Aniyamarti eleikim atem. That's the life the Jew lives on Shabbos, which of course inspires the rest of the week. And the testimony that we have, the power that we have to testify is through the power of Torah. The Torah is called a witness. Torah itself is called Edus. Edus, we say Shabbos morning, the Kapitlach Tehillim. Torah, what's the Lashon? Torah Hashem Tamima Meshivas Nafesh. Eidus Hashem Ne'emona Machkimas Pesi Pikudu Yishore Mesam Chilev Mitzvah Hashem Baramir Yisinam Torah is called the testimony the Eidus Diksiv the Pasuk says Vayidaber Elikim Miskal Hadvarim Me'elolemer Anoichi Hashem Alekecha the opening of the Aseris Hadibris is God spoke all of these words to say Anoichi Hashem Alekecha I am your God and the obvious question here is the word Lemer is completely superfluous doesn't make sense here Usually it says, God spoke to Moshe to say over. I'm telling something to Moshe so that he should repeat it to the Jewish people. But here Hashem is talking to all the Jewish people, even those who will live in the future as we learned above. So what's, God spoke all of these words, 
and start telling me what he said. What's the lamer? Besides, the introduction is a little strange. It's not such a, the Ten Commandments are not so long. It could have said, God spoke to the Jewish people and start saying the words, or just say, What's He spoke all these words. It wasn't so many words. It took a few minutes. It's very short. The Ten Commandments are not long. Observing them may take some time, but it's short. What's kol advarim eilalemer? So he says as follows: Pirush shetachlis kol advarim eilalohoyid ulevarer ki anoichi Hashem alakecha. Kamei shero ba'ayin b'har Sinai v'nasu edim kamei shekasev atareis aladas. What the Torah is saying is vayidabra lekim as kol advarim eil elikim Hashem spoke all these words. What are all these words? The Ten Commandments and the whole Torah which ultimately are derivative of the Ten Commandments of the Aserah Adibris. The purpose, he spoke all these words, lamer, is that a Jew should be able to declare and testify that a noichi Hashem that a Jew should be able to testify in her or his daily life. Olevare, it should become clear in my life, because sometimes I have to work through a lot of rubble, that's what levare means, to make it borrowed, to make it clear, because sometimes it could be murky. You know, a noichi Hashem is murky, it's not so clear. Levare, to remove every day, to excavate my true inner consciousness and be able to declare that I, Hashem, infinity, is Elekecha, is your God. That you are essentially a piece of divinity, a piece of infinite light. You are a fragment of heaven. Even the sky is not the limit. To always be able to go into your higher state of consciousness where you are an absolute ambassador of the divine himself, never a victim to inner or outer repetitive, predictive cycles or addictive cycles. Not in your thoughts, not in your words, not in your actions. The Chidush Harim, the grandfather of the writes, that what the Pasuk is trying to say is, all the words of Torah that you will ever learn and absorb throughout your life, you should know, Lamer, it's in order to help you declare in your consciousness, That means, if there's even, it's a powerful words, because it means, if there's one aspect of Torah that I'm learning, it could be Chumash, Tanakh, Medrash, commentators, Mishnah, Gemara, Bavli, Rushalmi, Rambam, Rosh, Rif, Rishonim, Machroinim, Poiskim, whatever it is, and I don't come away saying, I miss the essence of it. <laughs> it's like somebody hears a beautiful speech but didn't get the core message. All these words are here for you to be able to really come to a place of understanding that to be able to become a witness of this truth. How? By your life. And to make it clear, it should really be identifiable. Because again, it's there, but it could be very hidden and very concealed. And it could be buried under layers of debris. And this is where you have to do boyer. Remember, boyer and Shabbos is something, in Allah, something called boyer. You're not allowed to select the bad from the good. So levara means to make it clear, to bring this out clearly in your life. 
This is essentially what happened at Sinai. What happened at Har Sinai is the Jewish people saw it with their eyes, they experienced it, and they became witnesses. Like the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people in Parshas of Eschanan, Atta, you, her Esa, you have been shown. You are a witness. Lada, so that you should know that Hashem hu elikim, that Hashem is elikim, meaning that God is one and God is oneness. Ein oid mulvadai. There's nothing outside of him. What does it mean? Atta, her Ladas. Why is Moshe saying this? What Moshe is saying is, you are the witness. That Atem Eidai, you are the witness of this reality. This is who you are. This is what you're manifesting in this world. You are the testimony. At Har Sinai, the Jewish people were showing this. And that's the moment they ultimately leave Egypt on every level. Not just geographically, but also psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. So you have been showing this. Hashem wanted you as the witnesses. Ki Hashem hu elikim ein oid malvadai. Who is the witness for this? Every single Jewish soul is a witness to this truth. He says, nasu edim. Each of them became witnesses. And this is the testimony that we give through our lives, through our relationships, through our communication, through our interactions, through, through the way we live and the way we create our lives, our homes, our families, our communities, and ultimately our world. This testimony that each of us saw at Har Sinai, it was clear. There were no questions then. I and by and you, we saw it with our eyes. It was, it was as obvious as the material world. This testimony, Hashem put into the Torah. Every single Jew has a part in Torah. Torah essentially is a mirror of the Jewish soul. The Jewish soul is a mirror of Torah. The famous commentary of the Megala Amukas, Rabbi Nosson Shapiro passed away 1640 in Krakow. And he writes, Yisrael is an acronym, Yesh, Shishim, Ribui, Isis, Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. Every soul has its letter in the Torah, which is basically representing the idea that the Torah is a mirror of the Jewish soul. It's the document that expresses the neshama, and the soul is a mirror of Torah. Torah is not just a document that was given to us. Torah is essentially a Jewish document. Every Jew has his or her letter in the Torah. The whole Torah is a mirror of the Jewish soul. And then you have your specific letter. Your dimension in Torah. So this testimony that every single Jew observed the infinite nature of the universe and the fact that there is a spiritual, organic, transcendent nature behind everything and that we are all one and that we are all ambassadors of infinity, this is something we saw, we observed, we experienced with our eyes, with our souls, with our minds at Har Sinai. That testimony is recorded in the Torah. The Torah speaks about it, and that's really what the whole Torah is. The whole Torah is that testimony. When you're reading Torah, now this is where you have to get this. He doesn't only mean that the Torah records the story that the Jewish people were at Har Sinai and saw Neich Hashem that too. But it means the whole Torah is a testimony for this. Because when I'm reading Torah, it's like I'm reading the testimony of a witness who transcribed in his journal and documented what he saw. 
Every word, every syllable, every story, every law, every detail, every halacha, every aspect of Torah is essentially a document that's supposed to help me come in contact with this testimony. Which testimony? The testimony that Anoichi Hashem Elokech. That divine infinity is at the core of your reality. Never to underestimate your spiritual stature. Never to compromise your psychological, emotional, physical, and spiritual posture. Never to believe that you live anywhere but in an expansive mansion of infinite divine light. So every aspect of Torah is the testimony that was transcribed of the Jewish soul. The Jewish soul's testimony of Har Sinai, that becomes the Torah. The Torah mirrors our souls, just like our souls mirror the Torah. This is deep. <laughs> this is deep. Wow. Based on your toil and Torah, that's how much of a witness you are. Every Jew is a witness. That's the secret of anti-Semitism. <laughs> Why is there anti-Semitism in the world? Because every Jew is a witness. And what do we do? We want to kill the witness. <laughs> it's always better. It's always easier, right? What did the Greeks say? Kill the witness. Kill the messenger. If they kill the messenger, there's no, there's no message. <clears throat> but you can't kill the messenger. You can't kill the witness. Because the witness is one with the one he's testifying about. The prophet Malachi says, I, God, am eternal, and you, the children of Yaakov, will never perish. The same parsha Moshe says, you cleave to God, you're alive. God is eternal, you're eternal. They can try to get rid of one Jew or another Jew, but you can't get rid of the Jew, because the Jew is a witness. A witness to what? A witness to truth. How are you going to get rid of truth? <laughs> How are you going to obliterate truth? Try. Nature always prevails. Reality always prevails. That is its nature. It's real. The nature of reality, the truth of reality is that it's real. Probably nature is the wrong word in the Svasemes. That's Beis Avada. So, Atem Eidei Noom Hashem. Every Jew is a witness. Every single Jew is a witness. There's no difference. And if you don't believe the Jew, you can ask the anti-Semite. And even the Jew who screams that I'm not a witness is also a witness. <laughs> he screams he's not a witness. And sometimes his very screaming is being triggered because he's such a witness. And he really doesn't want it. That's why he's getting so irritated. As somebody once said, Jewish atheists are unique. They deny God with religious fervor. Because as the Sfasema says, every Jew is a witness. So the fact that you're getting so annoyed is because you're such a powerful witness and, and it's eating up on you. But the Jew who toils in Torah, the Jew becomes one with Torah, the Jew who lives Torah, he, he or she becomes an aid in a much more revealed and manifested way. Your very face, your being, every breath you take, every move you make, is a testimony to Anarchi Hashem which is in Torah. So the testimony, listen to this, 
Every Jewish soul has transcribed the testimony of Har Sinai in Torah. It's there. When you read Torah, if the more deeper you go into it, what will you find there? You will find the testimony of Anoichi Hashem Alekecha of the Jewish soul. That's its message. Every Nekud of Torah says this again and again and again. Aniya Marti Elikimatim of Neyeli and Kulchem, according to Svasem, Zui Kola Torah Kul. Now let's go back to the Gemara. Gewaldik. A person, a witness is allowed to transcribe his testimony in a document and then testify from it even after many years. And as the halach is Rabbi Yochanan's view, and that's the law, even if the witness didn't remember the story on his own, only after he read his journal, his diary, his notebook, that's when he remembered the story, he is considered a kosher and valid witness. Ah, you see what this means? This is the story of Jewish history. Every Jewish soul was a witness of Anoichi Hashem Alekech. At Maimed Har Sinai, we didn't experience ourselves as slaves in any form or fashion. We experienced ourselves, Ani Amarti Alekim Atem, I am a channel of divine infinity in this world. That Edus is transcribed in the Torah. Edus Hashem Ne'emona, Machkimas Pesi, Takes you out of foolishness, makes you wise. Gets you in touch with the source of joy and ecstasy and delight. Now I pick, take a look at the document 3,300 years later. I didn't remember the story. I don't remember the story. Sorry. But I take a look at the document and you know what happens? Through the document I remember the story. Ah. And here we come to a critical point. What does Rashi tell us in the Sugeng Suvis? If I look at the document and I don't remember the story, it's not good. Why? You can't testify from notes. You testify from your neshama, from your soul. The purpose of Torah is that the Torah should help me remember my own experience of Maimed Arsina. That's the Torah. That's the Edus of Torah. Again, there is the opinion in Gemara, the first opinion, that I could only serve as a witness if what? If I remember the story before the document. I knew the story. I needed the document to refresh the details. That's the first opinion. That's Rabbi opinion. Rabbi Yechanan says, no, you don't have to remember it. But Rashi says, but after you see it, you have to remember it. What, 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 what are these three possibilities? Reb Huna demands something much more. He wants that you should be alive internally. <laughs> Your Maimed Harsini has to be internally. The Torah is there to refresh you. Rabbi Yechanan says no. Even a Jew who doesn't remember Maimed Harsini. But the Torah reminds you of the testimony. And that's what he says. The deeper I go into Torah, the more I tune into Torah, the more I open myself up to Torah the more I allow myself to be impacted by the Torah, the more the Torah triggers within me the unconscious, superconscious memory of who I am. Who am I? 
The Torah helps me come back to that inner mental, emotional, and spiritual space where I experienced and still experience Anoichi Hashem Yes, the vicissitudes of life, the traumas of life, the pressures of life cause me to forget that. They minimize my posture. They crush my heights. They tell me stories about myself and create an alternate version of self-conceptualization that defies my true infinite nature. That's why I have a document. My testimony I wrote down. And the more I delve into this document, the more that inner unconscious space of faith and resilience and infinite goodness emerges to the fore. And the more it emerges to the fore, it becomes my story. But what happens if you don't have any of this? What happens if you're looking at the title doesn't remind you of anything? Then there's something missing. Then you can't be a witness. Because Judaism can't be a dry experience. I'm following a book. The Torah has to live inside of me. The purpose of Torah is to help me come back to myself. For the Torah to trigger and remind me of who I always was, who I always am, who I always will be, even if consciously I am not fully in touch with that right now. How do you know you're hearing real Torah? I always tell this to my students at the Shiurim. How do you know you're, re- you're hearing real Torah? Now you know. When you hear something and you realize that you always knew it. Because the class, the book, the lecture, the sheer, the text is reminding you the testimony that you observed with your own soul even though you forgot it. If you're hearing something that you never knew, it's not Torah. <laughs> it's not real Torah. The Torah challenges us but it always resonates with us. If the Torah is really not resonating with you, there's something off here. (laughs) There's something missing here. Very, very powerful. Very powerful. Through toil and Torah, the Jew could remember the testimony that is engraved in his soul from Kabbalah Satayra. This is always engraved in me. It's not a new me. If the Torah is creating a new me, it's not real Torah, it's not real me. Torah is here to help me come in touch with that which was always engraved in my soul. The Torah is just helping me remind me who I really am, who I always was, who I always will be. Ah, we come now to the last point. The Gemara continues with the question, Is the litigant allowed to remind me what happened? Can I only rely on the document or another witness? Or can the litigant himself come and say, Rabbi Vaivai, Yankel, Shmerel, Chaim, David, Motl, Shiele. You remember the story? What did we learn? Doesn't work. Too many problems. Why? We're afraid that the litigant may impact the testimony, and that's not good because he's subjective. It also doesn't look good. Besides, Talmud Chachem. Talmud Chachem 
can get it straight from the litigant. Like the story with Reb Asher and Reb Kahana. Says this Fasemes, Umaskin on the conclusion is that Servimen if it's a real Torah scholar and a pious Jew, even the litigant himself is permitted to remind him, jog his memory, and remind him about the testimony that he observed, and he can come and testify if, of course, he remembers it on his own because we trust him that he knows the halacha, that if he doesn't remember it fully on his own, he's not a kosher edis. Now we'll understand what the whole Torah Shabal Pez. Shechachmi Yisrael Zaychin, Shrakadish Baruchu Ba'atzmai Maskir Oisom Belibom Zeha Eidis Kamashikasafti. You could kiss these words. What is Torah Shabal Pez? The sages of Israel merited that the litigant himself, Hashem himself, reminds them what they heard and saw at Har Sinai. That's all of Torah Shabal Whole Torah, the whole oral tradition developed by the sages generation after generation after generation where they analyze every posik and every verse and every mitzvah and every sentence and every paragraph and every letter and every word and every syllable and the numerical value and the cantillations and the structure. They analyze every word of Torah beginning with Asayi Sadib is the whole Torah. And from it they deduce new laws and explanations and sometimes they debate and they fight about it and they quarrel about it. The whole Torah but what is it? It's the Tzur who's allowed to hear the testimony that I may have forgotten from the litigant himself. And the litigant himself reminds him what he remembers and then this is a kosher edis and this becomes real authentic testimony. So he says, Chach me Yisrael, Tzur have the schus. That Hashem himself, the litigant himself, the baldin, the one who is the author of the Torah, they merit that he himself reminds them what is in their heart. He reminds them what they saw, what they heard at Har Sinai. They receive, they open themselves up to that divine inspiration where Hashem Kvayachal, Reminds each of them. The, the Medrash says, A Jew who sits and learns, Hashem is learning right there with him. The, the Gemara says in Megillah, the Medrash says, Whatever a student innovates in Torah throughout the generations, it was all given to Moshe at Har Sinai. Why? Because that's the whole truth of it. The power of Torah Shabbat Peh is not some rabbi came up with an idea. Nah. He was reminded. By who was he reminded? Many, a regular person only uses the document. The document reminds me. The Chachme Yisrael, their Zoycha, that the Baldin, Hashem himself, reminds them what they picked up at Har Sinai, what their antennas, what their souls attacked at Har Sinai. And they can go back into themselves and become a channel for that information. And that's the Torah All of the new ideas of Torah it's also part of the Edis of Torah. But you have two types of Edis. There's the testimony that we pick up from the document, from Torah. And there's the testimony that I picked up from the litigant himself. So you have the Jew who learns Torah and that triggers his inner consciousness. The Chachma Yisrael. They're Mechadish in Torah. There's a new Torah. There's a new Edis. They don't have a document. They open themselves up to the music, to the divine symphony that comes from Hashem 
into the true sage who is completely, completely open to the infinity of Torah without agendas, without hubris, without arrogance. And then his or her wisdom becomes a channel for Torah Shabalpah because the divine triggers within their hearts their own experience, their own memory, the Adis of Har Sinai. And everything in Torah Shabalpah is part of that revelation of Har Sinai that God reminds them what they heard, what they saw, what they observed, what they experienced. I prepared in the document another Svasamas from the two years later, Tafresh Samach Beis, 1902, because in many ways it's a continuation to this Svasamas. I put it in the source sheets, but you learn it on your own. I'll open up the floor for some questions. Let's start with the chats. Thank you for another fascinating class. It is truly a gift of a lifetime to be able to learn. Thank you very much for your kind words. It's truly the gift of a lifetime to be able to learn from such a masterful teacher and a living example. Well, thank you very much for your kind words. And uh, may I live up to your uh, description of me. May we all live up to the description of the Svasemes about being witnesses, right? You know, the greatest, the greatest form of teaching is when you become a witness to that which you're teaching. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways here. In other words, I can give you information I can give you information. The information may be alive, but it's dead in terms of my experience of it. I'm just giving you information. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you hear something. I have a close friend, so they listen to a lot of classes. His friend tells me sometimes, it was just dead. It was just dead. It was, it was dead information. The information is alive, but it was channeled through dead vessels. In other words, I'm not a witness. The information is not reminding me what I saw at Har Sinai. I tell this to all of you who are listening. You know what a real teacher is? A real teacher is somebody who before giving over the information, they are not reading it from a document. They are reading it from their own soul. That makes all the difference. You have two types of witnesses. You have a witness who reads off a paper. Your Honor, on September 3, 1972, I observed. No, 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 that's not witness. You could use a paper, but only if it reminds you. That's the Gemara in Ksuvah's Davchaf. Only if it triggers your memory. People who stand up, give lectures, shiurim, seminars, workshops, hartsaot, gewaldik. Drushes, pulpulim, beautiful, amazing, all types of sermons, but they're reading from a paper. It doesn't have the same impact. And I don't mean a, the problem is not reading from a paper. If you want to read from a paper, read from a paper. I don't think it's a good idea, but I don't think that's the issue. The issue is not reading from a paper. The issue is that I'm giving you dead material. It didn't become alive in me. A teacher is somebody, you learn the material and it has to remind you of what you experienced at Har Sinai. In other words, it has to wake up the sleeping bear. 
the sleeping lion. It has to wake up in you the Ania Martia Lekimatim of an Kulchem, and that's what you give over. So people are not just hearing words from a person, they're hearing words from a living witness. You are a witness to this information that has a different impact. Okay, this was just a flow of consciousness as I'm reading your comment. I think that the antidote to the challenge you mentioned is remedied by a regular stream of classes like yours. It's the awareness that is the pivotal first step to a lifelong journey to go out of our personal bondage of Egypt and to experience a daily receptiveness of the Torah. Over time, it resonates more and more, more deeply and more deeply, and the more natural, and it becomes the more natural and instinctive way of thinking and living. This class also seems to fit in seamlessly with the incredible Maimer Oz Yashir you taught us last week from Torah Eir Parshas B'Shalach of the Balatanya. There is enough work in these classes to last us a lifetime, even in just one class and even in just one paragraph. You are on target. I appreciate your inspiring philosophy. I would make the effort to remember I am the child of Hashem and I can overcome the challenges. Come in. I can overcome the challenges and outgrow my own Egypt. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. We have a snow day here. We had close to 20 inches, I think. Close to 20 inches. Amazing world today, bedecked in white. So today is back to Zoom day. Do the words Shema Yisrael mean this deep, resonant experience of Harsina? Yeah? Yeah? That's what they mean. Okay, next question. Interesting that Reb Kahana lived during the same time as Reb Ashi. Well, they had this conversation, and Reb Kahana reminded Reb Ashi about uh, the testimony. So, yes. We daven to Hashem, thank you to my dear aunt who asked that question. We daven to Hashem directly. We also ask people alive or not alive to daven for us on our behalf, to be messengers for us. In the Hebrew Kadisha burial prep group, we ask that the, the deceased be a Melitz Yosher, a good intermediary for us. Wonderful, wonderful comment and wonderful question. And the answer is given by the Chassam Seifer, it shall say, Chassam Seifer. He says, the Gemara says about Abbasra that if somebody has somebody ill in their home, they should go to a Chachem, they should go to a sage and ask him to daven. Why don't you daven directly to Hashem? In fact, some oppose some oppose, uh, there's a whole debate about a certain poem, a certain prayer known as Malachi Elyon, where we ask the angels to intercede on our behalf. And, and they say, no, there's no intermediaries. So the Chamsayfer says, why is nobody opposed to going to a tzaddik or a rabbi or another Jew and saying, give me a bracha, pray for me, bless me. And the Chamsayfer says a beautiful answer. I'm going to give it to you literally in 20 seconds. And he says, all the Jewish people are limbs of one body. If my leg is hurting, is my brain allowed to pray for my leg? Of course. My leg is not sending my brain to God as an intermediary. My leg and my brain are all one. They're part of a cohesive, integrated, unified living organism. In fact, my head feels the pain more acutely than my leg. It's my head who should pray. 
So he says, when I go to a tzaddik, I go to a rebbe. I'm going to somebody who's one with me. And he says, when you go to the head of the Jewish people, the Chesam Seifer says this, when you go to the head of the Jewish people, he actually experiences your pain more than you. So of course, he should pray for you. This is the answer to the few questions that came in about intermediaries. You explain that we are really divine, but we're not divine robots with no free choice or temptations. That would defeat the purpose. The kunz is to overcome the Yetzirah, the snake, the temptations, and align ourselves with our true consciousness. Yes. God, you said, made us divine, but we gave us challenges. Our nature is human nature. We're hurt by life. We have flaws, things to overcome, obstacles from without, from within. The dissonance was injected by who? By us? Did God put that into the reality? Wasn't that dissonance part of his plan? Yes, indeed. Indeed, that dissonance is part of his plan. And even the fact that we experienced that dissonance after Matan Torah, right? The Gemara says that the Jews themselves were strong enough to resist it. But God allowed it to happen so they should be able to create a path of tshuva for generations. Isn't it clear that Reb Kahana lived before Reb Ashi? Well, there, were more, there was more than one Reb Kahana. There were a few Reb Kahanas. How would you advise someone who's close to you who is suffering in their own Egypt? The best piece of advice that we can give to people is by becoming living examples and by allowing our hearts to remain filled with connection and love. In other words, if you really want to help other people get out of Egypt... The best, the best way of doing that is by you yourself not remaining stuck in your Egypt. What often happens is we get angry, we get aggressive, we lose our patience. You remain in a place of deep positivity. And when you believe in that within yourself and within them, you will help them see that within themselves. Next question. There are witnesses who remember without a trigger who need a little trigger. And there are witnesses who need to be reminded the story. There are witnesses who remember everything. There are witnesses who remember a little bit. There are witnesses who remember nothing. Some souls need no reminders about Maimed Har Sinai. Some souls need a little trigger, and other souls have no independent recollection. But every single soul, through Torah, can ultimately remember what is theirs innately. If we are witnesses, why then it is only the tzaddikim who can testify without necessarily remembering at first the event or even be reminded by the litigant? No, everybody can testify based on the documents. But the Chachme Yisrael, those who are the authors of Teresh Peh, they had the schus that the litigant himself shared it with them. In other words, they were open to that flow of divine inspiration that helped them re-experience what happens at Maimed Har Sinai. And every, this Chachmi Yisrael includes every single Jew who learns Torah authentically. When Hashem testifies to us at Har Sinai, what happened seven weeks earlier in Mitzrayim? Was that the testimony or was it at Matan Torah? I suppose if Hashem... A witness may have his memory jogged by a document he wrote. When Hashem testifies to us at Har Sinai, as what he did seven weeks earlier in Mitzrayim, is he testifying as a witness, relying on a document? No, the Jewish people remembered it. The way we approach the position and task 
assigned to us can determine how we handle the engagement of activity and the result that will either produce 100, 60, or 30-fold. If we are all witnesses, and Torah is the document we have to refer to, then we should all be able to serve as witnesses. Indeed, when it comes to the testimony of Torah, we are all witnesses. Every single Jew is a witness. Atem Edai, Isaiah the prophet says, that you are my witnesses, Hashem says. There's no distinction. Man, woman, child, old, young, this affiliation, that affiliation, every single Jew is a witness of God. I wish you an amazing, inspiring, uplifting week, a week in which you and I and all of us can serve as true witnesses to the truth that we carry in the depth of each of our souls, that Aniya Marti Aleikim Atem, Uvnei Elyon Kulchem, until the moment that it's completely revealed in our consciousness and in the consciousness of the whole world, when we will once again transcend the dissonance and the death that came after the Chet Egel and be able to go back to that pristine place of Al-Tikr Charus, Al-Cherus, Cherus M'Malach HaMavis, Cherus as the Gemara says in Erevin, and the Medrash says in Shmais Rabba, that through Torah you would be Charus, Charus, Cherus, liberated from the Yitzhahara, liberated from death. All death comes from the dissonance of infinity with finiteness, not realizing that our true consciousness is divine and therefore we perceive ourselves as experiencing death. In this place, there is oneness and eternity and life. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.